I am thirsty. Such a small, simple phrase, isn't it? (laughs) In order to understand what's happening here, we need to recognize a reality of Jesus' life. What Jesus does throughout his lifetime is in many ways imitate parts and stories of God's people throughout history. And it goes back even to when he's a child. And scripture talks about how he was rushed out of, uh, out of the town they were living in as a little infant right after the, the Magi had come. And, and they brought Jesus to Egypt to escape persecution. And afterwards it talks about how God calls Jesus to come back to the land of Israel. And in that way imitates and really fulfills the life of God's, story, or God's people, the story of God's people, that they had been a people who had been essentially born through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the promised land, but then had to flee to Egypt, and then after being in Egypt, had to re- came back and returned to the promised land, and they made that journey, and in Jesus' own life, that journey happens. And you can go through Jesus' life and a number of these times that Jesus experiences something that that really is an echo and a fulfillment of what happened among God's people along the way. And the story of Jesus on the cross. And especially of the words that Jesus is saying on the cross. Really have the same type of echoing feature to them. When Jesus goes on the cross, he's, he's taking up in himself the history of God's people, their, their success and their brokenness, what they should have been and what they weren't. And as he goes on the cross, his words as well are, are in a sense, a taking up of our own humanity, our brokenness, our experiences, and, and giving expression to them on the cross. And so as Jesus cries out, I am thirsty, he's giving voice to God's people. He's giving voice to their cry, and he's giving voice to our cry as well. We're going to explore this in a couple ways this morning. We're we're going to start with God's people. We're going to start with the the people of Israel just after they've come out of the land of Egypt and, and they've been been through the Red Sea and they've gone into this space where, where they've seen God deliver them. God has, God has moved powerfully to part the Red Sea and, and to take away what had been their greatest threat and greatest enemy, the, the army of Egypt, that military power that had enslaved them. And here they are in the new land, in, entering into, uh, headed towards the promised land, and they're, they're free from Egypt, and yet they find themselves in the desert, and they start to grumble and complain. The place that this actually happens at gets called Meribah because of their complaining against God. The whole place gets defined by their complaints. And in the middle of that place, they they come to Moses and the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? 
Moses' response, why are you complaining to me? This is God's work. God's bringing you out of the land. You begin to see that they're really not grumbling against Moses. They're grumbling against God. They're, they're kind of a, a people who, who see the cup of God's salvation and they look at it and go, eh, you could have done better, God. It's, it's a half full cup of salvation for them. They find a reason to complain about God's deliverance of them that, that you haven't done it as well as we would have done it, God, if we had had the chance. You've fallen short. You haven't given us what we wanted, God. You haven't really delivered us. In fact, you know what? We prefer Egypt. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt now. Back to that place of slavery. Back to that, that place where we were being whipped and beaten and, and in bondage. Back where we had no rights and no authority. Back to that place. Because at least we have water and food there. The people of God were thirsty. It's another story that we read a part of this morning. It's a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus comes up to her after a, a long day's journey. They're in the heat of the day and he's sitting by the well and the woman comes to the well and Jesus, give me something to drink. And she's shocked because of all the boundaries Jesus is crossing in that, that little exchange, that little request of give me something to drink. A man talking to a woman, a Jew talking to a Samaritan in the middle of the day when no one should have been at the well anyways. And in that space, Jesus begins to reveal to her her deep need, her longing, her, her desperation. She's thirsty. She's thirsty for some sense of security in her life, some sense of, of someone to love her, some sense of, of needing a place to belong. The whole reason that any woman in that day and age would have gone to the well in the middle of the day in the heat of the day is because they were an outcast. They were socially unacceptable. They had been condemned and judged unworthy by the rest of their culture. And so she comes into this space with all of that, all of that longing with her. And in that space, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it for himself? Instead, also his sons and his livestock. Can you really give me something more than what's here? More than, more than what I see in my day-to-day -day reality? More than what I've been experiencing my whole life? More than the five husbands who've abandoned me? And the man who's living with me who doesn't care for me? Can you give me more than that? Can you give me something that will quench this thirst that's deep inside of me? Can you do it? I don't know about you, but I've had moments of my life in both places. 
moments where I see God's blessing, but I am full of complaint, full of entitlement, full of, it's not the way I would have done it, God. Why are you doing this to me? Do you really care about me and questioning God's grace and God's love? It's really a a deeper desire. It's a waving a fist at God while wanting God desperately to pick me up and hold me. You been there? Maybe you're there now. And some of us have been in this place where, where the woman at the well is at, where we, we are craving, craving love, where we are, we are desperate for some sense of security, someone to, to wrap their arms around us and hold on to us and say, it's okay, you're okay, you are loved. We're thirsty for it. Our soul longs for it. We pant for it like that that deer panting for water in a dry and weary land. Maybe we haven't gone chasing after men like that woman did and trying to find a man who would take her in and provide for her. Maybe it's been something else that we've chased after to try and fill that hole inside of us and, and to feel a sense of being loved and belonging. But we are thirsty. Maybe you're there now. Does anyone love me? Can anybody quench that thirst that's deep inside of me? As we encounter Jesus crying out on the cross, I am thirsty, we're beckoned to ask this question of ourselves. How are we trying to satisfy our thirst? How are we trying to take, take that longing inside of us and fill it ourselves? What are we, what are we chasing after to try and, try and meet that deep need? As Pastor Hayden said last week, and we've said before, that, that quote from St. Augustine, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee alone, O Lord. We are a thirsty people, a soul-thirsty people, living in a soul-thirsty culture that desperately needs God, but chases after all sorts of other things to try and quench that thirst, things that will not satisfy. And so as with each week in Lent, we're brought to a place of of sitting before God and saying, God, see all the things I've chased after that I know won't satisfy. We're brought to that place of what we call confession, that place of acknowledging that we've chased after other things to try and quench this deep longing inside of us. We need to admit, God, those things don't satisfy. I need you. I need your love. I need to meet with you. Though I am a sinner and broken and empty inside, I need you to fill me with the living water of your presence. Do you hear Jesus' compassion on the cross? Do you hear what he's doing? He's stepping into those places where we are desperate for some sense of security and we've turned to the the complaining against God 
And Jesus knows her complaint's not really against God, but a longing for God. Or he hears and he expresses in that at that same time that, that desperate longing to be loved, to be known, to be, to be accepted. And he takes it up into himself. And on the cross, he takes our desperation, our longing, and he wraps it into himself and into his own words. And he says, I am thirsty because my people are thirsty. I am thirsty because all those who have lived long for you, I am thirsty because that is our human condition after the fall. And Jesus takes into himself our thirst. There's good news. Not just here, not just that Jesus takes up our struggle into his own. But it's a good news story that actually falls all the way through scripture of this invitation from God. A steady invitation of come to me all you who are thirsty. We started our service with it, with these verses. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. One of my profs, in studying the Hebrew, stood up on the desk in the classroom and said, this passage is someone shouting in a marketplace. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. A marketplace full of other goods being sold. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come by and eat. Come. There's free food here. There's free drink. It will satisfy you in a way that nothing else around you can. Come. You hear God's invitation? In the world that's trying to sell us all sorts of things that will never satisfy us, a God who stands up in the middle of it and says, Come to me. And Jesus, to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's this promise, not just that you won't be thirsty anymore, but that you actually, when Jesus satisfies that thirst, you're going to participate in quenching the thirsts of others. That there will be so much living water in you, it will overflow Not just for eternal life to you, but to participate in the eternal life of God. That your communion with God will be so sweet, so rich, so satisfying, that it will spill over into the lives of the people around you. And then this, from the last part of Scripture, the very end of Revelation 22. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. God is not stingy with his water. 
God is not stingy with his presence. God is not stingy with his grace. He gives it away freely and he invites us to come to him. Whether we're stubborn and complaining and arrogant, whether we are desperate and longing, whatever our condition to come before God in this dry and weary land and be satisfied by him. In a few moments, we're going to taste that. We're going to taste it through the bread and the cup, that reminder that as Jesus was on the cross and said, I am thirsty, our thirst and longing for God was caught up in him, and it was satisfied through his death and his resurrection. And through the gift of the Spirit has been made available to all of us that we too might be satisfied in God, that our deepest longings, our deepest thirsts for communion with God deepest thirst to be loved by the one who made us is given to us is quenched is made available free of cost come all who are thirsty let's pray